Welcome to the Sandhill. Today it gives me great pleasure to have with us Jack Sim, the founder of the World Toilet Organization and a pioneer in social movements and enterprises in many, many ways. Jack is, of course, known very well worldwide for his work done at the intersection of business and societal needs. But I'm here today, after the long weekend of the Year of the Ox, to ask Jack about his overwhelming desires and issues that he wants to deal with, and also to have a chat about technology, happiness, and what's happening in the world going forward. Jack, welcome to the Sandhill. Welcome everybody to this podcast. So tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, for those of our listeners who don't know much about you because they're from all over the world mm. and what has led you here. So basically I um, didn't plan my life. Everything happens by serendipity. I um, was uh, brought up in a very poor family and failed everything in school. I was not good at study uh, and eventually uh, became a businessman and uh, made some money, enough to retire at the age of 40. Then I devoted the rest of my life since 40. Uh, now I'm 64. Uh, I devoted on social work. Uh, one of the biggest is the World Toilet Organization to break the taboo on sanitation and then now I'm doing uh, another very big uh, endeavor called the BOP hub which means the base of the pyramid hub to end global poverty um, in the same way that we are successful in the World Toilet Organization. So I felt that life is a very short journey and if we can make our time useful here and do something good. Uh, it leaves behind the world better and also that uh, other young people can then watch and copy and do it in their own style in whatever agenda they want to uh, help. Uh, there's a lot of problem in the world. We don't need to keep on getting richer. We just need food, need a place to sleep and uh, need a very happy family with friends around and then we can do a lot of good. So Jack, that's very, very interesting to know. Um, uh, would you mind uh, expanding a little bit upon BOP? Obviously the World Toilet Organization is something some people of our generation are a little familiar with, but BOP is something new. So the World Toilet Organization seeks to address 2.6 billion people who don't have access to proper sanitation and about more than 50% of all the sewage in the world that are not treated. That means they are all going into the river to pollute the water and to spread diseases from people drinking this water downstream. Uh, so each year there's about 2 million people die of diarrhea. And so we took this subject which is actually called shit, poop, pee, toilets, uh, which is very disgusting in most culture and turn it into a media darling and by solving this problem through the global media the politician then took the subject and uh, take it as an election issue because the media make it popular 
and they win election promising people toilets. So we don't build toilet, we make people build toilet. And in the end, 13 years later, our founding day, 19th of November, became unanimously adopted by the General Assembly of the United Nations. All 193 countries adopted our founding day as the UN World Toilet Day. So today there's still a lot of work, but the momentum has changed. Everybody wants to um, solve sanitation problem because they understand that is the cheapest medicine in the world. If you have hygiene, you have health, you save a lot of money, you have productive people. Now the second problem I'm trying to solve is to end global poverty. That is, there are 4 billion people in the world earning less than 8 US dollar a day and they are called the base of the pyramid. This is a group of people that is outside our formal economy. Can you imagine the world economy only consists of half of the people. The other half are in an informal economy and they are farmers, slum dwellers, um, petty businessmen, uh, fishermen. And these people are ignored by the politicians. And companies doesn't see them as profitable customer. And so they all think that poor people are relegated to charity. But charity cannot end poverty because NGOs takes a lot of overheads before even the dollar is given out. And even when the dollar is given out, it is a market distortion because they created a market price of zero. And if there is a market price of zero, then there's no entrepreneur who can fight this price. And therefore, there's no jobs created and there's no uh, sustainable economy, uh, no velocity of money, no multiplier effect. So the economy continues to be poor. So the solution is to actually train the poor to become businessmen to improve their farm produce by downstream processing. Let's say if you have uh, coffee beans, then you should actually uh, roast it eventually and pack it and sell it in your own brand rather than wait for some big companies or somebody downstream. Uh, the poor has uh, a lot of disadvantage because they borrow money uh, at very high interest rate. We could borrow money to buy a house here for 1.5% interest per year. Uh, they need to pay between 25 to 50% if it was a decent microfinance company. But very often, they also have to borrow urgent money from loan shark, which is like 2,000% per year and, and sometimes they have to sell their daughters to repay the loan or, or sell their kidneys or commit suicide. So this is really unfair world. If we neglect them and, and leave it to charity to solve, then it is a very bad thing. So what I think is that they are uh, hardworking people with spirit of enterprise and if we unlock these two values, we can actually uh, help them get out of poverty by giving them access to knowledge, training, technology, financing in form of investment, not as a gift, and uh, networks. 
and if they are able to use e-commerce to directly sell to customers, they can bypass the intermediaries, the middlemen who takes a lot of money. This is very interesting because um, I have been working in mobile payments for many years, and you know this that uh, especially in places like Philippines and Kenya. They came out with schemes like GCash and Smart Money, mm. and there was M-Pesa. Mm. Uh, now, there may have been some impact on people's empowerment, mm. but by and large, it appears to have been marginal in terms of moving people beyond the poverty line to somewhere up there. Uh, the other thing that you mentioned is um, the rate of interest. So there is obviously a strong asymmetry between the number of people who do need loans and their ability to get a good you know credit profile mm. so do you see i mean my personal opinion is this that there has been a lot of honest effort from the tech point of view but it has often not gone hand in hand with policy making or economics mm. and therefore its impact has been marginal how do you see that uh, changing now I spent three months in Silicon Valley uh, in a residential course at the Singularity University of Singapore. And uh, it was the first time there and you know, you hear all this great thing about uh, Silicon Valley. But when I was there, I felt that it's a really depressing place. It is a place where everybody is trying to be awesome. And that seems to be their purpose of life. They don't really have purpose, meaning, spiritual self, um, always doing some form of breathing exercise, transcendental meditation in a rush, but they are not uh, seeking purpose. They are mm. seeking awesomeness. And uh, what they want is to have uh, an idea that they would say is novel and then get funded, and then they want to exit and then start another one. I mean, if you do business to exit, it's like you give birth to children to give away to their neighbors or sell, sell babies, you know. Yeah. I, okay. I think it's not uh, really a good model. What I think uh, would be good if they stick to whatever they are doing and go long term. Technology is also uh, making young people feel like, oh, they want to get rich quick and they want to look great. But I think that uh, nobody is promoting that. To be a good person is more important to be a rich person. Uh, if we should define or redefine the definition of success, then we could say that a billionaire should be one that improves the life of a billion people rather than just have a billion dollars. I mean, it's really lame to have a billion dollars because you don't need a billion dollars. I Probably in your entire uh, lifestyle, you know, average person, you probably need uh, a few million dollars. Uh, pay for your house and send the children to school or whatever. But a billion is just obscene. And uh, why should we design a world that skew all the distribution of wealth to celebrate billionaires. And the reason people want to be billionaires is because you celebrate them. If you don't celebrate them and you celebrate people who are helping a billion people, then they will change their behavior because they not up they are not uh, chasing the money, they are chasing the recognition. 
that's a very very um, you know penetrating um, uh, commentary um, and in fact you said a couple of things which typically people don't talk about such as you know why do people want to make money they want to make money because they want they're making money to be celebrated mm. um, how do you see a shift happening culturally from this I mean obviously making money is not wrong but if one can have a multiplier effect where one person's wealth can lead to more people being better off or moving beyond the poverty line. And I think you see, we've been socialized to winning and every time we win, we create losers. For example, in sports, the whole idea is to beat everybody else. And then you say, wow, this guy who beat everybody else is the winner. Then what about those guys who lose? Oh, they're just stupid, you know, they're losers. But in the real real life we're talking about hardship we're mm. talking about sufferings we're talking about people who can't even have electricity or drinking dirty water and dying and uh, we play this game with people's life and death as if we are playing football and i think this concept of winner and loser has been a very masculine approach uh, since the uh, conquerors time and rape and plunder are celebrated like you know Alexander the Great yep. Genghis Khan the Great Kublai Khan the Great uh, uh, whoever whoever kill rape and plunder are the great I, I think this is all wrong and today of course it's not so violent but in a way it's also very very bad distribution of wealth if you say hmm. uh, everybody is trying to be the first trillionaire and what for that's the the what for is because you have Forbes magazine we have all this all this fortune magazine trying to celebrate them but if we as citizens of the planet don't want to celebrate these snobbish people anymore we want to talk about how people help other people we have to change that culture. And the moment we do that, especially young people, you see, Arab Spring, um, people's movement in Philippines. Right now, something's happening in Myanmar. Uh, you get uh, New York, uh, uh, this uh, Occupy Wall Street, uh, the other 99%. You can see all the young people are fed up of being poor. Hong Kong, Umbrella Riot. It's not about democracy, it's about housing problem, it's about jobs problem. If you give them housing, jobs, everything, I don't think anybody wants to go and burn their, 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 their own city because they have something to lose. So if people can be given agency, given ownership of their city, of their uh, state, then I, I think we will have peace. But if distribution of wealth is so badly done that uh, about 80 billionaire own half of the world, this is ridiculous. Do you talk a lot to young people? Because one of the problems that I have seen increasingly in tech, and this is like a, I mean, tech is the world where I've spent most of my time, and this is like a self confession. Most of us started in the 1990s when we were young. We no longer are young, but I feel that we have remained in a sort of driver's seat for too long and we have been out of touch with people who have come after us and we don't spend enough time trying to understand them. So No, this uh, stereotyping is not right because there are different types of people. Uh, I think the combination of the 
people who have experience and the combination of the young people with all the energy and vitality and the fresh ideas, I think is a very good combination. And it's every generation worry that the next generation won't be as good as them, but they always become better. So I imagine that uh, we can do the same. And I talk to a lot of young people because I teach at the National University of Singapore and right. I, I have this BOP Hub uh, incubator here which we incubate a lot of new uh, startups. And the quality is very, very wide. Some are so really committed and some are just like mm, very weak and no resilience and give up easily. So you have a very, very wide range. I'll know what is the difference. Why, why is some people more resilient and mm. more committed and more passionate than other people? You can trace it back largely to their parents. If their parents were nurturing their children to become resilient, then uh, or they, they didn't know, maybe they behave in a very good way and their children follow. Right. But if their parents were uh, very shallow and always uh, 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 selfish, then you will have selfish children. So I, I think that it's not about rich or poor, even the poor family with very good human values uh, can have a happy family, can build up very strong children, sure. and so does a rich family also can do that. The difference with rich family is that they focus a lot on wealth and they're afraid that people will get into relationship with them because of their wealth. Right. So I think there's a, a little bit more difficult uh, uh, life to find true love if you are wealthy because you're always worried that people are not true and they're always coming to, to try a leech on you. Hmm. So I, I think that uh, authenticity is very appreciated today and young people really like that and I think that we need to train a new team of people to think themselves, think in common sense and also not to have dogma like democracy and dictatorship and, and, and religious dogma, what we want to do is really to deliver the quality of life improvement of the disadvantage. And I right. think to have a fairer world, more peaceful world, and to have prosperity for everyone rather than only for a few and for yourself. So I know your phone is buzzing and you have a busy day ahead. It's been a long weekend. Uh, so I'm going to wrap this up now. Tell me about the two or three things that you see happening this year, perhaps, or maybe into next year, which you think will redefine things in the world as you see them. Uh, immediately, we can see that the online world is accelerated because the COVID has helped everybody to go online much faster than if there was no COVID. Uh, going online means that the shopping centers, the read, the the property prices of commercial places are going to be affected. The hotels, the travel right. industry, they're going to share a lot of jobs. And in the future, there's a robotization, AI, automation. It's going to replace labor, which means that capital is going to win labor. Uh, which means, again, that rich people become richer. Right. Uh, like Amazon, they're making so much money, but they're firing people because their warehouse is completely uh, run by robots right. now. I think that uh, we have to start to think if everything is going to be replaced 
by machines than what are human beings for. There's one good thing about human beings is that they are the only one who consume. That means if you kill the customer, then there is no customer. So right. what's all these robots for? Hmm. Robots don't buy from one another. Robots don't eat. Robots don't shit. So because we eat and we shit, we are valuable. We are customers. And so companies need to understand that if they kill the customer, they kill themselves. Companies are like viruses, like parasites. If you eat up the body that you reside on, you need to find another body to jump over to go and um, parasite on them. But if all die, then you also die. It's, uh, on the parallel, if you think about climate change, it's the same. People are thinking short term all the time. And what we need is to start to make people think long term, think about the context of their lifespan, think about their children. And so if you tell people like, oh, these icebergs are all melting and the world is going to be hotter by three degrees and Singapore will be underwater and disappear and they don't care. They say like, yes, but we need a quarterly report and quarterly profit. <laughs> so I think it's not easy, but it is important to start a culture to define, redefine what is success in the long term. And once we change the value from winner and loser to everybody's uh, welfare, everybody's uh, survival, then COVID has sent us a message. Nobody is safe until everyone is safe. Right. And if we understand this message, I think you can apply it for every other aspect in poverty, in technology, in wealth distribution, and the definition of success. Well, it was a great morning spent with Jack Sim, a man of incredible insight, pioneering social entrepreneur, and somebody who's building a massive exercise in empowering people below the poverty line at the base of the pyramid. We wish him all the best for his endeavors and look forward to touching base with him again and again to see how his journey goes on. Thank you very much, Jack. Thank you. Bye-bye. It was a great pleasure.